Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you live in your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. And welcome back to the Black Psychologist Podcast. I am one of your humble and gracious hosts here. And for your listening pleasures, your clinician, Dr. Kyle Osborne. And of course, I'm never here by myself. You know, we're here at episode 16, and I'm here with my guy, fresh out of the frying pan, into the fire, to be the mental health number one supplier, fresher than, you know, a piece of paper bearing his name, got the hottest chick in the game, rocking his chain. That's right, Dr. Jason Coleman. How are you, good brother? Yo, what's up, my brother? How you feeling, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm happy. It's it's, it's a short week, you know? Just got through. short week, but... uh. Mm-hmm. A grinder, you know, nonetheless. So, you know, but I, I'm not gonna complain. You know, we employ it, man. So absolutely, you know. Um, so uh before we get started again, always thanking everybody who's listening, the subscribers. We appreciate, you know, this is your first time listening. Uh, we appreciate welcome. And if you're a long time listener, we continue uh, to love your support and your feedback. So uh, like we've talked about and um, advertised in the last episode, continue to join the conversation. We want to hear back from you. Email us um, at the black psychologist um, at gmail.com. We want to hear back from you. We want to make this interactive. So, you know, you have any questions about mental health or you got any questions if you're working in mental health, whatever the case may be. You know, we want to hear from you. We want your feedback. So uh, shoot us a, a question. We'll bring it up on the episode, answer it, have a discussion about it and uh, just continue to subscribe and continue to to support, listen and like and watch. So um, anything else you want to add before we get into it, Doc? Um, I can't really add much to that. Just, of course, we're thankful for every person that, you know, takes the time to listen. Um, please continue to comment, enjoy the conversation, um, join the conversation. You know, we're humbled by the support um, and thankful. So that's about it, man. We get into it. All right, cool. All right, so let's get this thing started. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we're going to start off in the sports world. So over the past weekend, uh, Naomi Osaka, for those that don't know, she is the number two in the world ranked tennis player, number two, and she's only 23 years old. Uh, she's an amazing, amazing athlete and player. She, at the age of 23, she's already won four Grand Slams already. Um, so, yeah, she, she's really moving. Uh, so, however, uh, this past weekend, before the French Open started, uh, before the French Open, she informed the the tournament officials that uh, the news conferences have adversely impacted her mental health. So I'm going to read a a portion of uh, her statement that that she supplied uh, to to the public and to the the tournament. I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health, and this rings true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. So 
She said the decision wasn't meant as a uh, criticism or uh, of the tournament, and she hopes that the considerable amount that she's going to get fined will go towards a mental health charity. So she's making the conscious decision to not partake in the press uh, press conferences that happened before the match or after the match. Um, and so she's well aware that she'll get fined, and she hopes that the fines or the money that it's going towards will go towards hopefully a mental health charity. So I'm going to break down the, the timeline because this is an ongoing situation. All right. So the past weekend tournament started, she played and she won her first match. Um, and she does the immediate on court post-match interview. So like after the match is finished, there's always a reporter or whoever will come up and interview them. Hey, how was the match? What did you, you know, and immediately following. However, she skipped the post-match press conference, which she said she was what she was going to do. For skipping that post uh, post game or post match con- uh, conference, she was fined fifteen thousand or fifteen thousand dollars. Okay. Following that, the heads of the organization of all the Grand Slams, uh, all the Grand Slam tournaments. So that includes the French Open, the Australian Open, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open. So all of them got together and they released a statement. So they threatened and stated. Repeated violations will attract tougher sanctions, including a default from this tournament, fines, and future Grand Slam suspensions. So pretty much what they're saying is that if you continue to, you know, forego or skip these uh, post and press game uh, conferences, we're not only going to get fined, but you possibly can uh, get defaulted and suspended from this tournament and ongoing upcoming Grand Slams. All right. So uh, the following day, she decided to withdraw from the tournament, you know, citing her need to focus on self-care and not to be a distraction to other players. So what it pretty much or what it appears is that Osaka reached out for help and she was penalized when she expressed her mental health needs. You know, Jay, which, uh, what's your take on this? I mean, you know, everybody's been talking about this for the last couple of days, um, if not the last week. I mean, I think it's just another example, right, of, two things of how little we know about mental health, right, in general, people. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of like how, how much people are hypocrites, right? Um, how people send mixed messages and speak out of both sides of their mouth, right? It's ironic that this is happening at the tail end of May, right? You know, there's a reason why, why May is Mental Health Awareness Month, right? Because you have organizations, and I mean, again, I love the NBA, I love the NFL, you know, but they send mixed messages, right? Because the PSA about mental health, about depression after somebody hurts themselves, you know, they do that for corporate reasons to be on the right side of history, you know, but then you have somebody who brings up a legitimate mental health issue, mm-hmm. and they basically tried to bully her, right? You had the, the, the largest organizations in tennis, not even just this tournament, but I think it was other ones, piling on at first, right? Trying to bully her. I know they reversed their positions now, but you had the, the older figures in, in, te- in tennis, you know, the older uh, women that were more established in, in tennis that were, were saying she needs to woman up. She needs to do that. So you have an overall attitude that we don't take mental health seriously. Until somebody kills themselves, mm-hmm. right? When they when somebody kills themselves, or they OD, or 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 they're cutting, right? Then everybody wants to run to the rescue. But you have here here you have a twenty three year old woman, right? 
who's telling you she has a history of depression and anxiety. She doesn't have to tell you that. That's the first problem, right? Mm -hmm. Is that she has to go to the press and talk about her mental health diagnosis. All she should have to say is that she has a mental health issue, right? If she had a medical issue, if it was cancer, if it was a blood disease, if it was a kidney disease, do you think she would have to go to the paper and say, I got diabetes, I can't perform anymore? Hell no. Nope. Everybody would be screaming, hip of this, hip of that. But when it comes to mental health, we need to know, right? No, you don't need to know. All you need to know is that there's a mental health issue, right? But what we have here, again, is, and we, and we should expect this at this point, right? They're putting money, you know, over, you know, somebody's emotional functioning, emotional, emotional well-being, until they harm themselves or somebody else. Then we're all concerned about it. So, again, it's another example of, like, how little we know and how, you know, words are, like, um, useless, right? Because I'm sure tennis, the same way the NBA, NFL, has put out tons of PSAs, have donated to charities, right? But when it comes down to them really standing by, you know, what, what the words say, it falls very hollow, you know? So... No, you, you said something really important in there. You, you used the word uh, bully, right? Because that's essentially what happened, right? Rather than support Osaka or come to like a workable compromise, they they find her, but that wasn't enough. So the tournament leaders all had to get together, right? And then they weren't satisfied with that. So it's like, let's get together. And then they felt the need to put her in her place. Right? Right. It's a situation say, no, if you don't, you know, go along with us. No, now we're going to find you. And now you're in danger, but not only being suspended from this tournament, now you're in danger of getting suspended from all three or all four grand slams. So, you know, and all it did was it just, the sport only further demonstrated that like these tactics with these type with athletes today, they're, they're ineffective, right? Because nobody wins out of this, right? The end result is her being not playing. It it doesn't benefit anybody, right? It's a situation where like these athletes are different, right? It's outdated, and when you handle a situation like like this, it's likely to backfire. Like you mentioned, now they're coming out and they're trying to do damage control and trying to spin and try to control the narrative. But no, athletes now have more leverage, and they're speaking out about their health situation, right? So it's a situation like you said. This was a physical or medical issue then it'd be different. There will also be more sympathy, right? There would be more attention. It's like, oh, you know, if she were to pull it out because she had a groin injury or like you said, this was like a medical sickness. It would be treated differently. But because right. of mental health, it was like you said, you had the elders of these different organizations that were like, oh, like you said, she needs to woman up or she's, we know she's shy, but, you know, this isn't the right time for her to do that. You know, we can, you know, she needs to do the same thing that other players are doing. And like, she, she's demonstrated, you've seen her have a history of being anxious at these press conferences. Like this isn't shy. You're totally minimizing her health issue. Like even in 2018, I saw the match, right? When, where she played uh, Serena and how that all came and how she all won because there was a lot of controversy behind it, but she won the match, right? That was her first grand slam. And she was crying. Like she was visibly distraught even after winning because the crowd was booing. Serena had to come over and console her and support her. Like when you see her in press conferences, 
she she she's visibly uncomfortable. Right. And she stated, she said, since 2018, I've struggled with depression and anxiety and everything that comes along with it. And it's just it just totally was minimized. And like you said, the, the woman up thing from elder states, people, right. Other elder tennis players who were supposed to be supporting. Um, I mean, listen. And, and, and Naomi Osaka has taught a lot of people a lesson, right. In terms of reacting to a situation with class. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and being proactive. This is what she said. She said, I was already feeling vulnerable and anxious. So I thought it was better to exercise self-care and skip the press conference. Right. Right. Sounds like something that would come out of your mouth. Right. Mm-hmm. In terms of advice. Right. Would Definitely would be something that would come out of my mouth to somebody that might have a history with anxiety. Right. But again, the problem is, and again, it's an example of ignorance at its finest. This is a 23 year old, woman, right? Piers Morgan, 56-year-old man, calls her narcissistic, arrogant brat with an inflated ego, right? This is the definition of ignorance. The definition, right? So we don't have to rehash. We already know his ignorance on mental health in terms of how he, his comments on the Meghan Merkel, right? Which, yeah. but he which, calls which, her what she threw in there, right? <laughs> narcissistic, arrogant black brat with an inflated ego. She has depression, right? Now, this is a 50, this is the definition of bullying. This is a 56-year-old man. She's a 23-year-old girl or woman, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if he has children, right? But what do you think the advice he would give to one of his children if they felt anxious in a social situation? Do you think he would say, you're a narcissistic, ignorant, uh, arrogant brat with an inflated ego, or he would say, collect yourself, right? Or skip that and come back when you're when you're ready, right? This is the differences in how people would deal with their own family and how insensitive they could be to an athlete that they've already dehumanized. You know what I mean? It's crazy. It's crazy, bro. This is a 56-year-old man. He, what does he know about mental health? Like, no disrespect. Everybody can have their experience. But his ignorance is on display. She has depression. And he's calling her a narcissistic, arrogant brat with an inflated ego. That's the that's the why we have mental health awareness because of attitudes like that. Right. And this is a person that has a microphone that probably reaches hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, I I wanted to talk about it because it's an example. You have a lot of people that might hear what he says and they're like, oh, yeah, she, you know, you know, if she won, she would have took the money. Right. <laughs> so that's how they look at, it, you know, but if one of their relatives had depression, you know, the stance would be a lot more softer. You know, so we we all, you know, people in general have to educate themselves, you know, um, and we have to normalize mental health. Right. And I, and I will always draw the comparison you know, when you when you feel like dismissing somebody's depression or saying it's not real or it's not that bad or this or that, you know, think about would you say the same thing to somebody with a medical illness that you can't see? All right. Nobody's going to tell somebody with diabetes it's not that bad. Nobody's going to tell somebody with sickle cell anemia that it's not that bad. All right. You can't see it. You know, I know people that struggle with these with these challenges. It's very bad. <laughs> you know, so. Listen, man, we just got to wake up, but that's an example, right? 56-year-old man, 
bullying a 23 year old for having depression. It's absurd. And and that's why, like, I feel like this is such a big deal, because like you mentioned, if this were a physical issue or a medical issue, the attention would be completely different. However, she's being courageous in this. Right. She's she's understanding that this wave of anxiety is too much for her to manage. Right. Right. Because she's dealt with this and struggled with this for such a, a long period of time. Right. But she's still been able to manage it, at least to the extent where. It's not affecting her performance on the court. But you have to kind of think how anxious she is when she comes off the court. And I have to sit in front of all these different people. And, you know, and then it's also the fact that we take into account that she did all of this in front of a whole worldwide audience. Right. She came out and said and did it in the right way, in a professional manner and said, this is the reason why it wasn't like she was on some. Oh, well, I just don't want to talk to you guys. And that's it. No, she provided a reason, which, like you said, she didn't have to. She shouldn't have. Right. She shouldn't have to. She shouldn't have to feel obligated. But her also knowing the environment that she plays in. Right. Because we know like tennis again, it, which is what they've demonstrated, how callous they can be regarding mm-hmm. health. She felt the need and was open enough to explain, OK, this is why. Right. So she's courageous enough to do that. And then also, like you said, she mentions the, the self-care aspect of it. Like she took a critical step in saying, this is going to be too much for me. I need to step away. Right. One, I'm going to try to reduce it because I know how my experience is in front of cameras and doing these press conferences. It's no good for me. So she's knowing her limitations. Like, I, I feel like that's so bold. And like the awareness is, is at such a, an incredible amount, which is why I, I'm, it's such a big deal because as opposed to being like, you know what? I'm going to continue to go out and see what happens. And possibly, like you said, I'm going to shoulder, right? Because how many times do people, you know, I know, or just in people in general and our patients and clients, do they say, you know what, I'm going to take on this depression and anxiety in the name of like bravery, right? In the name of trying to be like, you know, manage it with few tools, right? You don't have the tools or necessary, you know, help or resources of trying to get you know, treatment, you just go ahead and do it anyway, right? You go out, you're trying to manage the depression and anxiety anyway, and it becomes overwhelming. So as opposed to her doing that, she's like, you know what? I don't want to be in a situation where this becomes more taxing and it can contribute to a breakdown, right? It can contribute to, like you said, her harming herself or suicide, right? So she actually did this thing and said, you know what? I'm going to step away to take care of myself. I'm knowing yeah. my limitations. I'm going to step away. And yeah, to the outside world, as a, you know, as an Osaka fan or a tennis fan, it sucks not to see her there. However, I'm happy that, you know, she's weighing this emotional fallout compared to, you know what, I don't want to experience or endure a more depressive episode or another anxiety episode that's going to do me in. So she's making the right decision. So kudos to her. I'm hoping that. As she, you know, she goes home and she's with her family and her loved ones. She gets the support that she needs. She gets the professional help that she needs. And she takes care of herself because like this is big for a 23 year old woman. Like we were just saying, like she made a critical and important decision to focus on her health as opposed to continue to go through this. I I agree. Um, but see, this is the thing, right? I think the spotlight should be shined on these sports leagues, right? Totally. To to walk it the way they talk it, because if I'm a pro athlete and I have a mental health issue, I'm not telling anyone. 
I would rather lie about a medical issue, right? Why? Because you saw what happened to, to Paul George, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? Um, right? Yeah, we talked about it, right? So, again, the NBA didn't necessarily support him in the way that, that he should have, you know? Um, so these leagues, I think, is one thing to do the PSA, put money behind it, you know, but they have to really have the resources and take, and take this serious, you know? Um, and when you see the fallout, when the response is, okay, we're going to throw you out of the future tournaments, find you, right? And then you have the pros, okay, the, the older established players in the, in, the, in the sport coming out doing the same thing, you know, it's kind of like a shut up and dribble kind of situation, for lack that's of exact, a better term. That's exactly what it is. And we'll get into this a little bit more in the next article, but... Um, you start seeing these trends, you know, with certain types of athletes and it's, it's troubling, you understand? Mm -hmm. Um, but just in general, in terms of, in terms of mental health, you know, we got to evaluate the same way as physical health when a player is out, you know, I know the managers and coaches play these games, but it's usually injured reserve and that's it. Right. And that, and, and when there's a mental health issue, she should not have to explain or reveal her diagnosis. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, she did it all. She went through all of the steps. She told them she talked to them afterwards. You know, she gave them warning. She didn't just not show up. Exactly. Know? So, so this comes back to them and their insensitivity. And we saw the same thing with Kevin Love. We saw the same thing with Paul George. You know, Tyson Fury when it, if it, in boxing. <laughs> Listen, it, this permeates all sports because we got this warrior mentality. Okay. And you got a bunch of people, writers in the press box, not all of them, but half of them who've never even picked up a ball ever and don't know anything about that type of pressure, right? And again, they want to get the story, right? So we talked about this last on the last show in terms of the bad behavior, but the part I want to take from it is anything to get the clicks and the views. So they don't care about Naomi Osaka's health. They want her to run out of the press conference crying how they did Serena. That's what they want. They want her to get up out of mm -hmm. the press conference and say, I can't take it. Right? And then they get to write stories about that and cover that. And they didn't waste their afternoon. That's what they want. They don't, they don't care if she would have a whole meltdown or a nervous breakdown in their presence as long as they got to write about it. This is the era we're in. People would love to see you melt down live on camera. They would love to see it right now. Not, not the people watching us, but you know what I mean in terms of going the things that make you go viral. That's one of them. So again, I think we got to give her a lot of credit, but the shine and the spotlight needs to be put, pointed back on these sports leagues, you know, because they're not walking what they're talking. And I think that's exactly what this does. The fact that she did, because this was a, an enormous mystery. And again, it definitely shines and highlights how callous they are in treating this. And like you said, you can do all the PSAs that you want and, However, when it came down to it, you didn't support her with this right. and to the point where she stepped away to focus on her own care. And now here you are. So it's exactly what this does. That It shines a lot. You have a lot of sponsors. You have a lot of people that are like looking at this. Now they're looking at them with the with the side face. So I, I hope that this this gets escalated. I hope that this, you know, they continue to shine this light on it. So we'll continue to monitor it. You know? yep, definitely, bro. So staying in the sports world, and as we talked about it uh, last week about uh, bad behaviors on social media, but now we're talking about it in the NBA, right? So it's it's NBA playoff time. 
you know, you're watching, I'm watching. However, the only thing is that we're not only, you know, watching the games. That's not the only thing getting headlines. Fortunately, this bad behavior as it pertains to fans has been coming up. And last week and over the weekend, there were five NBA venues that banned fans for disruptive behavior during games. So I'm going to give the, the list of them, right? So the first one was the Washington Wizards are playing the 76ers in Philadelphia. Game two. So Russell Wolf's Russell Westbrook rolls his ankle during the fourth quarter. So while he's limping down to the locker room, a fan pours popcorn over him, right? Like literally above like where he's walking into the the, um, the back area, whole bag of popcorn. It wasn't like it was just one. It was a whole drench, you know, in popcorn. That same night in New York, the Knicks were playing the Atlanta Hawks game two. Fans spit on Hawks guard Trey Young while he's trying to inbound the ball on the sideline. Also the same night, in Utah, Utah Jazz are playing the Memphis Grizzlies in game two. Grizzlies guard John Morant, his father and his wife, while they're sitting in the um, in the fans watching the game, they're heckled with racist remarks while watching the game in the stands. So, and I quote, this is what a fan said to him. I'll put a nickel in your back and watch you dance, boy. Another statement that was said was, shut the fuck up, bitch. That was to his, um, John Morant's uh, father, to his wife. Later, a few days later, Sunday night, game four in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets versus Boston. In Boston, after the game, while going to the locker room, Kyrie Irving, he's, you know, walking towards the locker room. Fan throws a filled water bottle at him. Just missed him, right, as he's walking in. In D.C. that same night, game four, again, Philly and, um, and the Wizards. Fan tried to run on the court. He had to be apprehended and tackled. So five incidents within three, four, four days of each other. What's your take on this, Doc? I mean, listen, there's a lot going on here, right? But we're talking about the fans right now. So um, listen, why are they so emboldened to do it? You know, um, some of the reasons people have been putting out is like, you know, people have been cooped up in their house for the last year. They're disappointed at how to play something, you know, some of the teams were playing. Um, alcohol is involved. These are some of the reasons that, you know, were given. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, man, I, I think it comes down to a couple of things. One, we know how it is when, you know, we know how people's behavior and decision-making changes when they're in large groups. Yep. Right. We know that because of the anonymity that comes with that and being able to hide in that crowd, mm-hmm. right? So, and, you know, and in layman's terms, you know, they're just cowards, right? <laughs> you know, the, well, you let's know, call the it what it is. Person, let's call it what it person is. that'll throw a bottle and go hide behind somebody or push somebody to go hide behind somebody. There's no accountability, right? So all of these people, if they saw Russell Westbrook in an, in an elevator, they would ask him for an autograph, walk by him, or they wouldn't say anything. I was going to say, they damn sure ain't going to throw popcorn at him. Right. Um, So why are they so emboldened? It's simple. Like, you know, there's there's no personal accountability. And then on a larger scale, you know, it's Candyland. So it's like, okay, the garden finds me, bans me for life. And then next year when I put on a hat and grow a beard and have my mother buy me a ticket, then are they going to be able to pick me out when I walk through the garden gates? Exactly. No. 
right? So, so a lot of the fines that they're levying, I know there was an arrest, you know, after the public pressure started to mount, you know, um, but there's no accountability, right? Because I'm sh- because they still want the money. They still want the fans' money. You understand? Um, so you have that part, and then there's another part. Like I, I listen. We've had different conversations about NBA players specifically. You know what I mean? And how it's a difficult relationship when it comes to how fans view them, right? Because we know in general how a lot of fans feel about players voicing their views on anything that that doesn't relate to them shooting a basket, right? A lot of fans don't like that. That's where shut up and dribble came from, right? And all I'm going to say is that that type of attitude, shut up and dribble, would lead you to believe that it's okay to spit on somebody, right? Who you just paid to see, right? That type of attitude would lead you to do that, right? Um, Most people, if they're disappointed in the service they receive at a restaurant, at a rock concert, at a a classical concert, they get up and leave, right? So to spit on somebody, to me, requires some, some form of dehumanizing that person. So that part of the conversation has to be had. But there's, like I said, there's parts of, there's, there's a lot of moving parts there. So what did you think? Um, definitely dehumanizing, um, deplorable behavior. Like there's a big difference between being a passionate fan and booing the, the away team that comes in, that comes to town, and then doing something completely dehumanizing, right? Right. Like you can boo, you can talk a little trash. That's cool. But fine line. And this is also entitlement, right? Entitlement where, like you said, you feel like because you paid your money, you can display these type of actions towards a player. And the NBA, unfortunately, has there's always been like this double standard, right? You have NBA players that have always been held to a high standard of professionalism. That double standard is when it comes to spectators and their behavior and abuse, right? They're not right. held to that standard, right? You can't have an NBA player. There was a situation with LeBron earlier in the year where he had a fan that was drawn back and forth with him. She's saying all kinds of different things back and forth with him. And if LeBron shows or displays any remote type of cusses at her or any type of unprofessionalism, he's going to get fined. This is going to be a scar on his reputation. He should know better, right? All these other different narratives will start to come out. And like you said, the reporters, everybody else will go, no run away with this. However, you can have all types of things thrown at their direction, right? They can talk about their families. They can have all different types of things. Okay. And it's, it goes beyond the, okay, they're professional athletes. This comes along with the territory. Okay. It goes way beyond that. Again, fine line between trash talking and booing and then you want to sit here and you want to start start throwing racial slurs because that's another thing we have to talk about like despite what Danny Age says because he said that he's while he was you know living in Boston he's never experienced any type of or, or seen or heard of any type of <laughs> racial thing I well, thought that I'm was sure laughable. I thought, I thought that was laughable. Like, come on, bro. I'm sure nobody uh, called Danny Ainge a racial uh, slur. Right. You know, but you've been there. Like, you, you want to sit there and tell me that you, you stood next to other different opposing black players and they weren't throwing racial slurs at them? Come on now. All right. 
But we know that the league has had a long history of African-American players like enduring racist taunts. Right. We have to look at it where it's like race has to it, it plays a card in this or plays as a factor because most of the players are black. Most of the fans that you see are white. Right. And so a lot of these, you know, there are clear racial undertones to this type of heckling that we're seeing. Right. Because this is where you're saying you're not seeing, you know, black fans or anything throwing these things. You're seeing these phones like and totally alcohol plays a part in it also because it lowers inhibitions. However, there's a clear racial undertone to, to these actions. And, you know, it's it's deplorable, man. Um, listen, when you were, you were talking about fan abuse, right? And that, I, I had to write something down. I'm like, but yeah, it's fan abuse, but race always plays a factor, right? Because it's certain fans, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What you're talking about, yeah, you'll find that at basketball games. You'll find that if you go to the uh, link in Philly, you'll find that at football games, yeah. right? I got a scenario for you. Me and you are at a PGA event, right? We're at a PGA event, golf, or we're at an Adele, a Adele concert. We're either going to see Adele or we're at a PGA event, right? Mm-hmm. I throw popcorn on Adele and spit on her, right? And throw a bottle at her. What happens immediately? I might not even see you again. I'm right. <laughs> I'm arrested, right? Immediately. Arre- now, this is just your idea. We're just speculating. But am I arrested and banned? Or do you think I'm going to jail? Oh, no, Immediately. You're going- yeah, you're going to jail. Right. Yeah. So what we have here, but they will tell NBA players, Russell Westbrook is soft, though, right? Right? And they'll tell them to toughen up, right? So people may think I'm being extra, but this is where we get the devaluation of black bodies. Exactly. Right? Black life is cheap in America. You could never do that at a PGA event. Never. You would be booked with a mugshot. But you can you can throw popcorn on Russell Westbrook, right? And we can play games, but we know for all the law people out, we know that's either assault or battery. Hey, yes, it is. That's simply what it is, especially spitting when on it. That's playing that game, right? And in my and, and for anybody who would challenge that, let's switch the environment. Put yourself at the Masters. Put yourself at the Bruce Springsteen concert. And will, and how long would you last doing that? And then where would you end up? Because they're not just going to put you out, okay, stamp your ticket and say, have a good night. You're going to jail. And that's why when you say fans, that's correct. But certain fans, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and I and that I think is the part that makes people angry, right? Because what you saw with LeBron, that would never you you would never let any they would never let anybody do that to Brooks Kepka at the PGA. Are you crazy? Nope. They would never let somebody spend ten thousand dollars to go front row to the Madonna concert and do that to her. They would throw you out and lock you up, mm-hmm. right? Well, maybe not for the LeBron thing, but you know what I mean, yeah. right? So my point is, and it may seem like it's extra, and, and it might be, right? But we got to be extra, right? Because of the simple fact, and we got to draw those comparisons because of the simple fact that for individuals who, who, who aren't aware of the differences in the two environments might just think it's, it's the alcohol. You understand what I'm saying? And it's not just the alcohol. Uh, yeah, you know? like we said the alcohol lowers inhibitions. And no, you're not being extra because bands are not sufficient enough they're ineffective like you mentioned 
Like you can ban whether the person is a season ticket holder or it's an individual game. No, you can ban someone. And like you said, they can come in the following week. Every security guard or every ticket person there, they don't know who that person. They see thousands of people come through a day. There's no way you're going to be able to ban any individual, right? You can't do it. I believe that honestly, like how it was back in the day, and for for some of our listeners and watchers that are that are from the Philly area, and if you're you know in your mid thirties or forties, you know you're familiar with Veteran Stadium. So Veteran Stadium. That's what I meant. Yeah. That's what I meant. When yeah. yeah, when vet you at the vet, listen, man, they had a jail. They had a they had a court, and they had a jail there. And for fans that got rowdy, that displayed this type of behavior, no, you went to court. You went to jail. You were there. And you receive like real judicial punishment and consequences. And I feel like I know the link used to have that after they 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 destroyed the vet, the link had it for like a couple of years, but they kind of did away with it. But I believe that all stadiums and all venues need to have this form of a judicial system. Like they it's in a it's an effective deterrent, and you have to start yielding like these consequences with people. Because again, when you get in, I don't care if you're drunk or whatever. The, all the all the alcohol does, as we've talked about in the past, is just lower the inhibition, right? Right. You know, like you said, you getting you you're with your friends, you're in a group atmosphere. Oh, bro, I'll I'll bet you I do this, I'll do that. No, listen, no, there need to be some serious consequences for this. This is assault. You need to have an assault charge if you spit on somebody. If you're throwing popcorn, you're throwing a water bottle. No, that's an assault charge. And I believe the players, I don't care what sport it is, they have every right to press charges to the fullest extent. I mean, and again, I, I, in no way would I ever condone violence, but the only reason why I, would, why I bring it up is because they would judge the reaction, right? Exactly. If, if that if that fan was in arm, within arm's reach of Russell Westbrook and he grabbed him after he pushed a popcorn on him and snatched him off and he fell and hurt himself, he, you know he would be suing Russell Westbrook, right? Hey, but and, and and the focus would be on Russell Westbrook's reaction and not what he endured before before somebody assaulted him with popcorn, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that that's my point. You have to put these things in place because we're creating an environment where it's like the circus, right? Where I can throw stuff at you, I can poke the bear, but the bear can't get out. That's how they're treating it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, but you know, again, you know, you know, and I know that the bear sometimes gets out, though. We, you remember the malice. Right. Right. And, right. The, and, and, and everything, again, everything was harped on. And I get it. Like you said, we're not promoting violence in any any form or fashion. However, you throw this at the wrong person. And yeah, a lot of it came down on Ron Artest. It came down on Jermaine O'Neal, Stephen Jackson for their actions or how they responded to it. But he was laying there. He was on. He was laying on the scores table. The bottle and the food came out of nowhere, came from the fans. And like you said, you continue right. to poke the bear. You're going to poke the wrong bear. You're going to poke the wrong athlete and someone's going to get hurt. And like you said, right. to avoid that, we have to be proactive or the league needs to be proactive. All of these venues and say, like, listen, you do this now. Nah, not only we're going to ban you. No, you're going to do some time. You're going to have some charges against you. Right. So, uh, man, I, I get it, man. I ain't got nothing else to add to that. That's real, though. So, um, so we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping that this starts to this reduces as, as the playoffs goes on. But like the, the flurry and the frequency that this has been taking place is, is disturbing. So um, but they need to put some some things in place to, to reduce this, this uh, deplorable behavior. All right. So, uh, so I'm going from one difficult job as an NBA player 
to, I think, the most difficult job that you can have is parenting, right? Okay. So I don't care who you are, how many books you read, uh, what your occupation is. Being a parent is tough. It's on the job training. You're going to learn as you go. And not every kid is the same. You could have three or four kids raised in the same household. Kids are going to be different. So absolutely, parenting is a, is a difficult situation. Something we also have to keep in mind as parents is how when we're raising and we're communicating with our kids, if that makes sure that we're doing it in, in, in a healthy manner. Because we've all seen some situations, whether it be clients or we know people in our personal lives that, you know, we've seen some parenting tactics that are uh, <laughs> very, very questionable and, and downright unhealthy for the kid. Right. We know that it's affecting the kid in, in the way that some of these parenting tactics are, are taking place. So we came across an article where we're talking about people being called out for normal parenting tactics and that or what people assume for such a long period of time have been normal parenting tactics. And they're, they're pr actually pretty toxic and, and unhealthy, you know, especially for the kids. So I'm going to run down these, uh, the list. All right. And, uh, we'll, we'll run through them real quick. Give me a take. All right. So you have a parent that's refusing to apologize when they're wrong. All right. So that means, you know, you don't apologize to your children when you like if you're having discussion or argument or whatever the case may be uh, and you're wrong. Right. About the situation, whatever you may be arguing about. And the parent refuses to apologize. You know, uh, what do, what do, how do you feel about that? Doc? What, what do you think about that, Jack? I mean, listen, I think. This specifically, I think some of that is cultural, you know, um, we're not going to get into, to, well, I'm not going to get into the finger pointing specific cultures, but I know I've experienced this personally, you know, it's like, listen, some parents, the, the way they was raised, you know, I think this is me speculating, right? I think that they feel like apologizing to their children is kind of showcasing a vulnerability that they don't want ever, right? They want to always remain powerful and in control, right? In my humble opinion is that it's a mistake, right? Because number one, your kids know when you're wrong, right? They're not fools, especially as they get older and they know your parenting style very well. So indirectly, you, you teach them to avoid responsibility, you know? Um, you teach them to avoid, you know, responsibility and, you know, they, they're not going to be honest either in their interactions in terms of admitting their shortcomings, right? So I think it's one of those things that parents you know, kind of got to understand that, you know, they're in control and have all the power anyway. You, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> all the time. Right. So it, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, most parents, they, you know, they want to have an embarrassment of riches, right? So you want the power control and you want to know what's in your kid's diary. Right. And you want to know what's their inner thoughts. Right. Um, but forgetting that we're kind of doing two things, right. Because, of course, good parents have to provide structure to their children and provide a certain type of example, but we also preparing them to be independent at one one day, right? So things that we do, you know, they're gonna model. So um, yeah, but that's one thing I see a lot, especially culturally. What do you Yeah, think? I think the really quick is that the two things I'm gonna tease out of what you said is um, embarrassment, right? A lot of parents, you know, the last thing you wanna be is wrong in front of your kid. Especially if you go back, right? That's the last day. It's it's a very difficult pill to swallow. However, 
it's the modeling part that you that you asked about, right? That you said, like you're modeling accountability for your kid. So if you can admit and say, okay, I was wrong in a situation and again, accept it, that's okay. Because like you said, you still have the control. Like just because you're wrong doesn't take away your, your parental powers. Right? So I think that's the fear and concern. And then the embarrassment factor that like, listen, like you were wrong with something and definitely it does showcase some vulnerability, but you're just wrong about a particular issue or a subject that you're talking about or discussing. It doesn't mean you're wrong about parenting overall. So right. I think that's that's uh, also kind of plays into it is the embarrassment part. But if you are able to acknowledge that you're wrong, it definitely models um, accountability. All right. Next one we got is the comparing them to their siblings. You got the good old. Why can't you be more like your brother or your sister? You know, that does nothing for their self-esteem and it can really, you know, keep them from becoming their own person. What are, what are your thoughts about whenever you've witnessed this or that you've seen the old? Why can't you, you know, the comparison? I mean, a lot of these issues I've seen less and, and heard about them through the perspective of the kids, like the teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a different perspective. It's a unique perspective. But in terms of the cons- comparison, I'm going to take a different approach, right? I think when a lot of parents do that, I think they have good intentions, right? Oh, why can't you do your homework like your brother? Well, your brother's so focused. He's so smart. Blah, blah, blah. But what I don't think like a lot of parents understand is that sometimes, depending on what it is, it has like life, lifelong implications, right? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is anybody that has siblings know automatically you compare yourself to your siblings. That's how you measure yourself. Whether you're a, a, a young boy and me and my, and my older brother doing push-ups and I want to see, can I do four today, five today? He's doing 15. Or he went to Howard, I want to go to Howard. He did you measure yourself by your siblings, right? Yeah. So there's already that pressure that's already there. You know what I mean? So if you have a parent and then you have to remember that kids are individuals, so they're going to have different things that they are good at and deficient in different things that they have challenges with. And you don't want to kind of reinforce those deficiencies or that kind of thinking, you know? Um, so the intent, I think, is good intent. Um but I think it could be, you know, I think it has a bad effect a lot of times. Yeah, I, I've seen this take place more often than not out of frustration where I see a parent is okay. like, you know, well, why, like you said, why can't you get good grades like your brother or why can't you do this like your sister? So it's like they're trying to say, hey, I'm frustrated because you're not doing this. But on the other side, like your your sibling is able to. So right. or they might be, it might be coming as like they may be thinking it's motivational or they're highlighting something. I feel and believe that it has an adverse effect on the person that you're you're saying you're comparing the kid to, because now that kid, depending, may look at that as favoritism also. Right. Like you're 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 saying, oh, well, you're, you're putting one kid on a pedestal. And now here I am. So now you're saying I need to be more like this kid. I need to be such and such. And so, like you said, there's already a companion, you know, that exists between siblings anyway, whether siblings are aware or they're, you know, that is taking place. But that comparison is already there. So if you have a parent that's like, why can't you be like this? That's the adverse effect that I think can have is that you feel like they're leaning towards this kid or they love this kid more. Or they like all that kind of preferential treatment. So I think their favorites can come out of that. Um, I mean, that's that's a that's a great point. That's exactly you. You articulated it perfect. That's what I was trying to say in terms of like the lifelong implications. Like mm-hmm. you got people 
46 years old when you're talking to them about the like, and they're like, yeah, you know, they always love my brother more because he got the good grades. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that right. comes that usually doesn't come from your brother standing over you like I'm the smartest because y'all playing video games. Yeah. It right, usually yeah. comes from your parents or, you know, when, when in-laws come over, how's everybody doing? Oh, he's doing good in school and he's not like that type of stuff. You know what I mean? So the intent is, is to motivate, but it doesn't necessarily have that effect all the time. Exactly. All right. Number three, telling your kids your personal problems like oh, your dad is horrible. He didn't even do the dishes or I hate my marriage. You you know, like essentially treating your kids as their th- as a therapist or like their your sounding board. Right. So, um, you know, kind of involving them in your personal life about whatever types of issues. Yeah, I, I've always I, I was kind of cringe when when I hear or see this. This is this is not a good thing. I mean, listen, we see this a lot, especially when we're talking about like co-parenting and like mm-hmm. divorce kind of cases, right? Um, first, and again, I'm going to take a different approach. I agree with you. I'm going to take a different approach because I, I can understand how certain people and, they, and, and culturally, right, when they go through something bad with their partner, right, the person leave is not the person they thought it was, whatever the case may be. Some people don't want to let those issues outside of the home. You know what I mean? So sometimes they don't even want to call their mother or their brother. So you end up, so your son is 15 or 19 or 13 and you know, or your daughter. And so you, you, that's a sounding board. That's a person that's right there. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I understand. So you want to kind of keep that message in house and you get a release from talking to them. Right. And you know them. Right. Um, but like you said, you know, Number one, your ch- child isn't your therapist. Two, they can't do anything to help you, mm. you know? Um, and three, I think, again, the, the point that I think a lot of people miss is that you put that stress on your child, mm. right? So they might not say it to you. Again, kids are not as verbal as adults all the time, or sometimes they internalize things, but you start talking to your son or your daughter about your marriage being in trouble, you know, then they're worried about their stability. <laughs> they're worried about things you're not even thinking about. Oh, am I going to be able to live here? Do I, am I going to be playing on the same baseball team? Right. And you're worried about a release, right? When the appropriate outlet, if you can't find a family member, is to find some therapeutic support, you know? Um, because again, your, your child is not your therapist, right? Um, so again, the intent, I understand, right? You might, want to keep some humiliation and embarrassment, you know, or just not being vulnerable. You want to keep that in house, but, um, it's not a good, it's not a good thing, man. I think it could also have a negative influence. Like you said, if it's a co-parenting situation and you have one parent is talking smack about the other parent, it's like that can have an influence depending on how old the kid is about the other parent. Right. Right. So it's a thing where, like you said, stability and kind of getting those ideas from one parent kind of leads to side taking and other different types of negative influence or perceptions that they may have, which is which is unfair. So awareness, I think, is key. Like it's one thing. okay, your kids in the car, you're having a conversation. But I I strongly recommend that parents just have that awareness of like, all right, am I going too deep? Like if the kid, kids are observant, right? They're going to overhear things as they get older. They're mm-hmm. also going to understand more of the circumstances. 
However, it is to an extent where that conversation kind of needs to be cut off, right? If it's personal, it's between you and the other the parent, or it's just about something else that's taking place. It's like, all right, having an awareness, all right, am I devolving, divulging too much of right? We got to kind of have that awareness, like, all right, let me put the lid on it and kind of reduce because again, your kid, your kid is still your kid. And they don't they Listen, don't need to hear everything. The 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 piece that's a little controversial that I don't know, I feel like I have to say is that yeah, yeah. You also have some people that like they want to win, right? They want the kid on their side, right? So they want the kid on their side. So having the kid on their side involves slandering mom or dad, right? Um, and that's a whole selfish personal thing. Mm-hmm. That's like Oh, our relationship is over. So instead of putting the co-parenting first, as it should be, because the relationship is done, right? The relationship is done. So the focus should be on co-parenting. But as you know, in a lot of cases, the focus becomes on finding out information about the other person, right? Making things difficult for the other person, right? Making the other person's life difficult. So just in those three points, the child's well-being is fourth. Right. You know what I mean? So I think winning is a problem. People want to win. You know what I mean? They want to win. So, um, again, it's lumped into personal problems. Absolutely. All right. Invalidating your kids' emotions by ignoring it or shutting them down. Yeah, this is, I think, and what I've observed is that it's the intention part that we spoke about earlier. I think some of the 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 old phrases of you know oh what's wrong with you oh you're you're feeling sad or you're, you're depressed I you wouldn't be depressed if you went and cleaned your room right you wouldn't be like some of the I think some of the statements and some of the phrases that I've oh heard right and see listen this is real bro <laughs> yo <laughs> this is real I ain't you never know? heard that in my life yo man listen it were it's still yo, like that's crazy bro listen I, I've heard it. And it's a thing where also like you minimize. You wouldn't be like, depressed if you went and mowed this lawn. Yeah, you mowed this lawn. Which or or the, how about this one? Right, it's the statement of what do you have to be sad about, or what do you, what are you stressed out about? You ain't paying no bills, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I think that gets passed down because as parents, you know, we forget that just because they're not paying bills, they're not working, the things like, and it's. Not these, you know, I got you got to support the household things like kids have important things going on in their life, but we don't deem it as important because it's not like life altering or it's not going to affect the family and, and survival and things. But when statements like that are made, it's invalidation, right? A kid or whatever, whatever age that they are, whatever's going on in their life is important. And if they come to you and say, hey, this is happening or this happened at school, I mean, You'll be fine. Just go ahead and, and, and do this. Right. So that's the invalidating an aspect that I've seen. We're kind of just shutting them down before they get an opportunity to even verbalize what's going on can be invalidating. They can feel like they're not hurt. I mean, this is going to sound insensitive, but to me, when this occurs, you know, uh, it's directly on the parents. Right. And I think a lot of it has to do with the parents own emotional regulation skills and whether or not they have a trauma history. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. if if you're a parent, you know, and you can't, this is what directly leads to us having a study flood of teenagers in our office, right? Um, so I'm a little harsh when it comes to this because, again, like I, 
you got the, the things that it, it's a very simple concept, right? Kids are not adults. It's, it's that simple, right? So the things that bother adolescents and teenagers are not going to make sense in the mind of an adult. You know what I mean? A kid is, a, a child is going to be upset to the point where they might be ready to harm themselves if they're excluded from a social group. You know, uh, an adult can pay to be included in a social group. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go online and pay your way into a social club or this place or that place. So it, it, it's just different. A, a, a kid could be walking to school, you know, with an outfit that they done planned on wearing for weeks, you know, and get it dirty and be devastated. And, mm-hmm. and parents don't understand of that, right? A, a kid can have a breakup and be ready to end their life. Yep. Right? So teasing, th- these different things can make a child want to harm themselves. Right. It's not difficult to understand, but it what it involves is there's a lack of insight by the adults because what it what it involves in is people seeing things from another perspective because they understand, they just won't accept it because they were all adolescents at one point. And if you ask them to write about their experiences in high school, you know, let's take out the people that had to work to support their family, you know, and all of that stuff. But but they're going to be talking about the same things that their kids were talking about. Friends and girlfriends and, you know, how they look and how they dress and, and all of those things. So, again, I think when you when people get older, they lose sight. But it's, but it's lazy parenting, right? It's lazy parenting to, to, to look over the, over the seat. And people may not like me saying this and say, you ain't paying no bills. Why do you look so sad? That's, that's just being lazy. That's being tired from work, wanting to go home and watch Netflix and not wanting to say, listen, baby, let's stop, get some ice cream and talk because mm-hmm. something's not right. So it's, it's lazy parenting. I'm, and, and again, I'm not saying every parent, but um, it, it's a direct reflection, I think, of their own emotional regulation, self-care and possibly trauma. It's just a lack of openness, because like you said, we how many people or how many folks teenagers have come in and one of the main things they say is that I can't talk to my mom. I can't talk to my dad. Like whenever right. I say something, they, they shut it down or they, they don't listen. Right. If right. you don't have that openness, like you said, we all have, we all work, we go through tough days, but like you said, if it's that low frustration tolerance of when your kid is coming to you about whatever's going on in their life. And because it's not important on your radar, you just kind of minimize and invalidate it. So um, that's definitely, um, that's an issue. One thing I will add, though, and I, again, I want to be fair. Most parents, I don't, most parents, a majority of them love their kids immensely, right? Mm-hmm. So what I found is that it's a lack of, like I said, it's a lack of insight. But with most parents, as long as you approach them in the right way, if you talk to them about it, they're willing to change some things. Mm-hmm. Because no parent wants their kid to just go down, you know, unravel emotionally. So. That's why I said a lot of times it is trauma. It is how they were raised. So I'm not just dumping on the parents. You know, I think when you connect with them in the right way, right, they're willing to change. But that doesn't stop it from being an issue, you know? Yeah, it's a lot of unlearning and a lot of it, like you said, due to how you were raised, your culture and other different, you know, things that exist. Uh, Getting mad for disrespect or talking back when the kids win an argument, you know? (laughs) Uh, well, uh, yeah, take take me through that. What you think, Jack? I mean, listen, this is how I grew up, my brother. Um, respect is a very important thing in my house, you know? Um, and it's a lot of uh, elders, adults in my family where 
Listen, if you win an argument, you disrespectful. That's how you're gonna end up losing the argument. You're, yeah. You understand? Yeah. Um, you got you got to take again, that argument with. A, <laughs> you got you got to take that argument that win in silence. Right. Um. Because, but, but again, I think it's a, it's another cultural thing, and it's about respect, power, control. You know. Um. And it's one of those things where. At a, at, a, at a space and time, I think there was a mindset towards parenting that you had to be like a superhero, right? So every day got to be your best day. You can't never be wrong. You can't get down on a level with your kids, right? Mm-hmm. And if we look at how parenting is looked at now, it's almost the reverse, right? You know, what do people tell you when you want to connect with your child? What? Don't talk to them from up here. Get down on a level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to know what's going on in your kid's life, ask them what's going on in their life, right? Another way of getting down on their level. Um, so I think this is just another another thing that has to do with power and control is kind of directly connected to, to not apologizing, right? Because you're going to see this in the families and in the cultures, right, you know, right. where there's that dominance, right? Um, where it's like, respect your uncle and your aunt, even if I, you know everything that they're saying is some bullshit. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you better nod your head and act like they're right, like that type of stuff, right? Um, but we're getting away from that, right? Because we talk out of both sides of our mouth because we want children to blindly obey and follow us in certain situations. And then others, we want them to make extremely difficult, calculated situations. So when you're in my house, I don't care if I'm wrong, I'm the adult. Shut up and do what I say, right? (laughs) But, but, and and this is where it gets serious, but if an adult in the park tells you to do something you're not supposed to do, disobey them, right? It's a very confusing message for children and it's not cut and dry. I'm not saying that kids should just, parents should just passively raise their children, but you want to raise them to think critically and that's going to involve them challenging you at times and you being accepting responsibility for being wrong at times and, and, and parents have issues with that you know yeah i think a big thing real quick that it, it comes down to the communication factor right so they're talking about disrespect or talking back so it could be a culture thing but that's never okay right not in my household not in a lot of households i know right disrespect and talking back that's not going to be tolerated there's a difference between Okay, having a conversation, you want to get your point across, right? You want to have space for you to have, you know, your point that you're making. You know, personally, it's been a situation with my daughter where I'll give you the opportunity to say what you want to say, you know, after I'm done talking. I'm going to give you that opportunity. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean of what you say is going to change my decision, but I will hear you out. And I think that's the big difference between a lot of situations that take place is that kids feel like they're not being heard, right? Like you said, my house, my rules, I'm going to say what goes, I don't care what you have to say, right? So you're instantly shutting them down. So yeah, you're definitely not going to talk back to me. You're definitely not going to, you know, disrespect me. I'll give you that opportunity to say what you're saying from your perspective, because like you said, the insight comes in. Maybe I'm missing something. I'm not recognizing some part. And I'll take that in consideration as far as whatever the situation may be. But I think when you just shut it down, it really does come to the communication aspect of it, where the talking back and disrespect and yelling and shouting, and then everything just gets lost in in the meanwhile, you know? So I mean, yeah, man, because how you communicate is going to depend on like what kind of environment you set up from the beginning. So if you set up 
type, the type of environment in your home from the beginning where when you have an issue, you sit down and talk about it, then you're not going to be in a situation where you're getting mad for disrespect. Exactly. Unless you're just mad at what your child has to say. <laughs> and that's, exactly. a, that's a personal thing. You know what I mean? That, that's another issue. Like you, If you raise critical thinkers, you can't get upset at them for thinking critically. You know what I mean? But again, it comes down to power and control. And I don't think, I, I want to be very clear about what I'm saying. I think most parents have good intentions, right? Because they're saying, if you would ask a parent why they, the root of why they were doing that, they're either going to say, that's how I was raised, or I want to I raise them with respect or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, but I, but I, I don't think, you know, the under, some of the underlying uh, messages that are being sent, I don't really think some people see immediately. All right. Saying that a kid has a boyfriend or girlfriend anytime they are close with friends with a child who isn't the same gender. Let me think about that. I mean, and I, I, I ain't really got much to say about that. That's kind of, I mean, it, it depends on the age. Um, I understand the point they were making. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, listen, man, like I, I, I've been, you know, sometimes you're around first, second graders and, you know, the I've never really heard parents saying that directly to the kids, uh, yeah. to, to children. I'm not saying it, it doesn't happen. But I think that was kind of just thrown in there, man. I, I ain't really got too much to say. About yeah, that. I, I, I only thing I can say to that is, again, like, I guess it depends on the age. I don't think you should j automatically jump to that conclusion. I feel like as a parent, you want to be aware if you're noticing, OK, right. your kids of a certain age, if they get older, they're around an opposite gender friend. You know, say, all right, OK, you know, just be aware of it. But I don't think you jump to that conclusion and be like, oh, that's your boyfriend. I think you can ask. You can inquire. But I feel like jumping right. to that conclusion is, you know, but like you said, I, I don't know. I think they were kind of reaching on that one. Yeah. Uh, Gaslighting their children into believing things that are simply not true in order to defend themselves. I got nothing to say about that either. That's ignorant. And it's um, it's, it's just ignorant. Like, <laughs> we're, yeah, it's yeah, ignorant. yeah. yeah <laughs> That this is this is a that's as toxic as it comes right there. Um, hey, what am I supposed to say about that? I mean, that's uh, like that, that's yeah, that that's know? that's pretty that's self explanatory. So, um, you can tell me and I won't be mad, followed by punishing them for whatever they admit. Then, uh, then you wonder why the kids never talk to them. All right, I, I mean, listen, this is the best way to ruin trust that you've established with your children, right. Um, and it happens all the time. It's just on a larger level, you got to understand, like, children see the hypocrisy every day, right? They study their caregivers. They know their caregivers like the back of their hand, right? So it, when you tell them that, tell them, oh, you can tell me something, I won't get mad. And then you do. I mean, you only got to do that one or two times to teach them to go to their friends or go to somebody else. That, yeah. um, that, that, and that's I just think on a larger <laughs> level... I think parents, I think sometimes parents think they're smarter than kids, right? And six-year-olds see the hypocrisy. So if you have a six-year-old and you tell them, like, listen, cigarettes are bad, right? Then the kid comes in your office or my office, and they'd be like, yeah, daddy sits out on the back stairs and smokes cigarettes every day after work, but he says they're bad. Yeah, he says they're bad, but I see him out there with his Lucy and everything, and, you know, like... Right. So, and, and you can... And now in front of you, if you ask them, oh, should you smoke cigarettes? And I'm like, no, no, no. You're, you know what I'm saying? But that's going to be the kid where 
you know, the teacher's showing you pictures and he's drawing pictures of cigarettes in the mouth. Right? Or he's rolling up, he's rolling up when he's in school, he's rolling up the paper and he's that, right? We've seen this. Or he's yeah. telling me that, right? Um, so I think it's just kind of an extension of that, right? It's like, as adults, sometimes we think we're so much smarter than kids and we are, we have more wisdom than them, but we're not necessarily smarter than them in terms of being sneaky. I don't even know why you even use that disclaimer. Why even put that disclaimer out there? You can right. tell me and I won't get mad. No, why would you say that? You don't know what they're getting ready to tell you. So I, why even make that promise? Like I, I, I've never, you know, again, for me, I think my daughter maybe said that once or twice, like years ago. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to make that promise. You need to tell me what happened and we'll go from there. Like right. why a parent would even make that? Cause you have no idea what your kid is getting ready to tell you. And kids get into shit. Like kids, right. they, they all kinds of things. There's varying degrees of what could go wrong or what they're telling you, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So no, you don't, as a parent, I think that's one of the like, worst things for you to say i want to say worse but like it's just not a good way for you to lead off like if they come to you and say hey you know i got something to tell you oh baby you can tell me i won't get mad like no tell me and we're going to resolve the issue okay because you're you're allowed to have a reaction you're going to have a reaction it doesn't mean that the reaction or the anger that i'm having from what you tell me that i'm not going to support you we're not going to hang i might be angry at the moment but we're still going to deal with the situation. If you're going to get some consequences or a punishment that comes associated with it. Right. I mean, I, and I think you put it perfectly. Like I can't even add nothing to that. A better way to put it instead of tell me and I won't get mad is tell me and I'll help you now. Tell me and whatever it is, I will help you now. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and again, it's good because as a parent, you always got to give yourself leeway for consequences. If oh you yeah, don't, yeah. Then you you have just become your child's peer. Yeah, like now nah, you did something wrong. There's gonna be consequences. That's that's how it works. You know, it's more of a tell me what you did and and uh, we'll see what happens. That's that's how I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, take away taking away their privacy unless your kid has a serious drug or self harming problems. Violating their privacy will almost certainly do more harm than good to their mental health and trust. What do you think? I mean, I, I can only speak to this anecdotally. And all I will say is that all of the children that I grew up with, males and females, whose parents took doors off their bedrooms, went through their diaries, went through their phones. These were the kids that the minute you turned your back, they were doing everything, trying everything, down for everything. So parents can do that if they want. But when your kid gets to college or when they get to that keg party, like it was for me in high school, they're going to be the spectacle. So I, I, you can, you can do that if you want. I mean, again, again, like with most things, the middle ground is the best way to go, right? Yeah. You want your child to have a certain degree of privacy. You want them to have, of course, you want them to have a, a box or something where they put their things and it's their corner and it's their room. I mean, you, 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 you want them to have a certain amount of privacy. Now, if it infringes on safety, that's different. You understand? Um, but if we're preparing children for to, to be independent, then we have to start them off with some level of responsibility, which, you know, directly related to a little bit of autonomy and privacy. Yeah, it, it's um, balance that goes along with it. 
you know, I think it's good to be aware of kind of some of the things that your kid is into, you know, maybe kind of know who they're hanging around. I don't recommend the taking off the doors, um, spying on phones, um, because like you said, there's a certain amount of privacy that they need to have. I've always looked at it where I don't necessarily want to know everything that my kid is doing right. Safety. Absolutely. Some of the people she's hanging around. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, I haven't peeked at, like, what my daughter, like, when, especially when she was going to, like, the later middle school and high school, because I would see, like, her text thread or something because we shared the account. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that I haven't, like, took a peek at it just to kind of see where it's at. But I also feel like some of the things that aren't really severe or major issues, you have to kind of be able to, like, all right, kind of allow her to have her privacy or her autonomy, right? You can't right. allow, you can't right. be that judgmental parent and be like, oh, I saw this and why are you doing this? Like kids are going to be kids. And if you go always looking through their privacy and looking like in their journal or whatever the situation may be, eventually you're going to find something that you don't like, right? That confirmation bias is going to is gonna take place and you're going to find something that you don't approve of. But you, like you said, you got to hit, it's really healthy for you to give them that space so when they do get freedom, they don't wild out. Right? Right. They've been able I mean, to experience life and other different things. Because not like you said, you're going to see those situations go terribly extreme and go wrong. Oh, man. Like, man, listen, anecdotally, of course, like I grew up with a lot of a lot of people that it's like when they got their first taste of freedom, man, they lost their mind, you know. Um, and that's the, and that, I can directly kind of trace that back knowing them to like, you know, the, the, some of those strict environments that they was in, you know? Um, they end up doing some of the most extreme things because again, you know, part of it is just the natural wanting to kind of, you know, experiment, you know? But um, I think also, it, also it's like, I'm trying to think of the better, for lack of a better term, it's like trying to catch up, you know what I mean? Like. You see these kids who, like, it's kind of like your first week of college, right? You kind of can tell the kids who kind of been on their own for a little bit. They kind of got a little bit more control. And then you look around and it's the kids that are a little bit more anxious. They kind of looking for somebody else to lead, you know, different things. And and these are kind of the skills that we develop in with all of these little things that we we do. So, um, again, I think privacy is is important, like, especially for kids that are in high school. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it kind of goes back to what we were t- talking about last week with the with the photos, right? Like we can't we, they, we don't give them enough responsibility or autonomy over what they're wearing. But in six months, they got to decide everything. You know what I mean? And and that means privacy too, right? They got to decide who comes in, who they're gonna let in their house, who they're exactly. gonna not let in their house, who they're gonna give a ride to, not give a ride to. Mm-hmm. But six months before. You know, dad or mom was reading my diary. You know, it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? It's, and, and again, I'm not advocating passive parenting, but what I'm saying is the middle ground is often the best way. You know what I mean? All right. Less of a parenting tactic and more of a parent, uh, more of a tactic parents use. So contriving a video featuring their kid to post to social media. I'll be very honest with you. I know this is crazy. I, I didn't even really know what that meant. Like, were they are they talking about just like putting together a video of your kid and putting it on Instagram? Or I, I think so. 
Yeah. Um, I, that's above my level of intelligence, uh, Doctor Kyle. So I, I mean, for me, I can I can speak to me. Like I don't post that much on on my social media thing about my kid outside of, um, like her accomplishment of like getting into school mm-hmm. and like when I visited her up there at school. Uh, other than that, like I've never really been a huge subscriber of like putting the kid, you know, recording and posting it. Like, I, I mean, I'm just, for me, I'm a little bit more private as far as that goes. So, but I mean, it's, I think again, balance with that. Um, I don't think you should, you know, use your kid as like, you know, like as a novelty or kind of like, I get it. You're proud of your kids and you love them. You want to showcase things. I do feel like people should be a little bit more selective just because it's social media. And once it's out, it's out. Right. And people make judgments, people make all types of criticism and things. And so um, I would just err on the side of caution as far as how much you do. But I, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, kids, kids are amazing. Like they're one of the best gifts that you can have. And a lot of people want to showcase, you know, going going with the family and your kids and different things. But just be careful because there's also the, the dark side of that is that you got some really, you know, some sick individuals out there that aren't. You know that are, don't have those same intentions. So I would just be, you know, really careful sometimes the way how much you, how much the volume and frequency is in which people do it sometimes. I mean, I agree. You know, like if you're posting pictures of your kids to your closed Facebook group, your private Instagram page, that's fine. Um, Tinder, not good. No. Right. Um, so I think you just gotta watch one because of what you said. Because once you put stuff on the internet, it's out there. Um, and then you have to really be careful because, you know, you have people who, you know, they compile pictures of kids, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you know, um, of children, you know, and they, they, they're sick people out here. Right. Um, so you want to be careful because of that, too. Um, but in general, I, you know, again, I, I thought that was kind of growing. I didn't really understand why they put it there. Um, Posting pictures of your children. I mean, I I don't see it as a as long as it's done responsibly. I don't really see it as bad. Yeah, using humiliation or or an embarrassment as punishment. I mean, come on. I guess this is this is one on one as how your kid can end up in one of our offices, right? Yeah. I mean, listen, man. Children already have fragile self esteem. You know. Um, all these things are being built, built self-concept, self-efficacy, all of those things. So as a parent, if you want to destroy that and you think that, that that's building character, it's doing the exact opposite, right? Mm-hmm. So what you may end up getting is, okay, you're going to get a very subservient, obedient child in the house, right? And outside of the house, they may either be internally focused or they, or they may just be bullying other kids and be aggressive, right? Yeah. That's, that's, but that's but it's going to come out somehow, right? <laughs> um, they're going to get some get back somehow, for lack of a better term, you know? Um, but on a serious note, it's, again, it's, it's irresponsible. And I think it's, again, it comes back to lazy parenting, right? Because that's usually going to come down to somebody who was parented through the same type of, like, had the same type of traumatic experiences in terms of demeaning comments. Um, and it's lazy because, you're not taking the time to either find out what's going on or put it in an appropriate intervention to alter the behavior. It's easy to call your kids stupid. That's easy. <laughs> you know, it, the hard thing to do 
okay, is to, mo is, is to modify those behaviors over and over again. That's the hard thing to do, you know? Um, so again, I'm gonna take another approach because I think even parents that do that, the intent isn't to have their child end up with anxiety disorder or depression, right? Or low self-esteem. If you talk to them, they're probably gonna say, I want them to be strong. I want them to be respectful. I want them to be responsible, right? Um, but the, 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 the long-term impact, you know, can be drastic. I think when I believe when parents go the embarrassment route as a punishment, you have a high probability of your kid resenting you. That means a big key because these kids don't forget. And depending right. on what the embarrassment entails, if that if it's caught on, if they're recording it and it's in front of people, they don't forget. I mean, you got to think about when we've been embarrassed. Have do you forget those times? You don't. You 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 rarely forget the time that you were embarrassed in school in front of your friends or whatever the situation may be. And if you think that oh I'm gonna embarrass them and it's gonna be a deterrent, like to you know they'll never do this again. No, you're gonna have a whole nother host of issues on your hand with this with this kid, and resentment will be one of them because social. Think about it. That's big. That is one of the most important things in any kid's or teenager's life is the social component. It's a fact. You skew that, you damage that. That's that's um that's gonna be pretty hard to come back from. So um I don't I don't recommend any parent go that route. At least not intentionally. If something happens unintentionally and and you know that that's different, and I feel like a parent definitely needs to recognize that and, and have a have a conversation with the kid to know that, that it wasn't intentional. But if if it's done in that type of manner, I I don't, I don't, I don't recommend any, any parent go that way. That's not going to yield, man. That's not gonna yield the results that. that you want. <laughs> yeah. All right. Being overly protective. So if you, you know, the, the, the statement that follows this one is if you don't let your kids fail or protect them too much, they'll be less capable of doing so when they left home and so on and so forth. I, you know, I, for me, it's balance, you know, like you have to be protective to a certain extent. And there's going to be circumstances and situations where you do, you know, you have to let them kind of experience things. So mm -hmm. it's, it's like you said, right in the middle, it's a balance component with that. I mean, all I would say about that is, is you know, it's kind of revisiting a lot of the things we, we talked about. Um, the middle ground is the best way to go, right? So, you know, if, if you're overprotective of your children, that's going to have negative effects. And if you're overly passive with them, it, depending on their personalities, you know, it may have, you know, um, negative effects too. Um, the best thing is, is to me, is kind of like, you know, the middle ground, right? Kids need structure, mm -hmm. but they also need to be able to explore their environment, you know, freely, you know, it, it sounds contradictory, but it's not, you know, um, it's the difference between being able to walk around, you know, the kitchen, but you know, there's a rule that you can't touch the stove, right? Structure but being able to explore the environment. And, that, and that's, what, that's what, you know, kids need that balance. However you apply it, they need that balance. Overly accommodating and praising children. What do you think about that? I mean, the only way this could be negative is if there's, you, you're not criticizing. So right. 
Yeah, but with, with this I don't one, know why they included that unless you're just talking about somebody who's just treating a kid like they're just like a king or something and they could do nothing wrong, you know? Yeah, I, um, I feel like, yeah, I, I believe this to be like kind of a throw-in and, you know, I guess it's kind of more along the lines of the overprotective and over, you know, I don't know. Like, I, kids don't get enough praise, in my opinion, right? Because they're going to remember when you don't praise them, when you're critical of them, that a lot of times they remember that more than 10 or 15 times that you've praised them, right? That one, right. one or two times that, that you didn't praise them or that you were critical of them, they're going to, that's going to stand out to them. So right. I've always been, you know, a subscriber that, you know, you praising them and accommodating them, even when they're not doing anything is a key ingredient, right. To helping them build their self-esteem. Of course, being realistic with them in certain situations is also helpful and healthy. Um, however, like praising children and, and you know, and accommodating them and, and supporting them, I feel like you, you can't go wrong with that. I, I mean, like that's, that's why I don't understand. Like this whole, you know, parenting programs that are based around praise, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't get it. I mean, we, we sit around, we tell parents, catch them doing good, right? Catch kids being good. Right. Um, instead of focusing on the bad behavior, catch them doing something positive. Right. And that's kind of, you know, what that is. So I only think it's a problem if it's not if you're not, you know, holding them accountable in terms of structure and constructive criticism. That's it. Yeah. Um, making making your female children change clothes when male family members come over. Listen, I'm going to be very honest. We can skip over that one because I didn't even yeah. pay attention to it. I, I don't even know. What that means, I've yeah. never, I've never seen anything about that. I, I have nothing to really say about that. Um, I don't, I don't understand know. the reason. <laughs> so uh, you can comment on it, but I got nothing to say about that. Nah, I'm a, I'm gonna forego that one also. You know, outside of like your kid wearing something inappropriate or underwear, I don't, I don't see, I don't know. Um, having kids before you've gone to therapy to address your own childhood trauma. Uh, now, this is something that's not practical, mm. but I think it's something that could be beneficial. So I'll just leave it at that. It, it's just like marriage counseling, right? Um, I think it could benefit every couple, right? I, I, I don't think there's a parent alive that probably couldn't benefit from, even though parenting is an on-the-job kind of thing, talking to another parent, you know, getting some information before you go through the experience. I can't see how that's a bad thing. Um, and reflecting on some of the undoing, some of the some of the maybe the the maladapted parenting methods that you might have learned by modeling your parents, right? Which is true probably for all of us in one way or another. Um, so I don't see how it could be um, bad, but I don't think it's practical at all. Yeah, I think yeah, like you said, the practicality, you know, like it's helpful. Helpful to go to therapy to help you with that. But like you said, it's not very practical. Saying anything along the lines of just of just be happy. Like, you know, I guess in the context, we'll say like, thanks. You know, my depression is cured. So I, I looked at this as um, kind of the invalidating, whereas just like if someone tells you that your kid says, hey, I'm not feeling good or I'm depressed or I'm feeling anxious. Well, don't be don't be depressed. Just be happy. Right along those lines, so I, I put that in the same category as the invalidating emotions and oh, yeah. you know struggles. That's that's where I, I put that one at. 
I mean, I got nothing to add to that. It's to me, it's just it's just being lazy. You know what I mean? Like, um, because you you if you're saying that, you might as well just say shut up. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's lazy parenting, right? Because some parents will never react that way, right? They're gonna even if they say, "I'll talk to you later when I get home," right? They're not gonna say, "Well, why are you depressed?" Like, you know, go fold some sheets, like. It's lazy, man. And yeah, and most likely it's reflective of either emotional regulation issues within that person or how they were parented, you know, which might translate to trauma. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know. All right. And finally, the not explaining their decisions. So it's like, the you know, do this because I'm your mom, I'm your dad, because I say so. I mean, to me, we this kind of goes with the not admitting when you're right, you know, a lot of culture in this one too, mm-hmm. um, but this is a like kind of more of a chronic kind of thing because I mean, listen, as old as I am, I still have that same kind of, <laughs> I still have some of those same confrontations with my older family members. Not confrontations. But, I know what you mean. Um, right. So, listen, seniority is seniority, and I always, you know, I I kind of. It's a double-edged sword, right? Because when you do it to kids, you know, um, it sends them mixed messages, right? Especially when they know you're clearly wrong and when you know you're clearly wrong, right? As an adult, I can kind of deal, I can deal with it a lot better, right? Because I'm looking at it in a different context. I'm looking at it in context of just, all right, I'll give this person a respect and then, you know, I go back to whatever my own. But in, in terms of parenting, it's going to be a negative effect, right? Because with, mm-hmm. Because you're teaching your child to avoid responsibility, right? That they don't have to justify their decisions, right? Um, those type of things. And the world doesn't necessarily work like that and not going to necessarily get the result you want. Yeah, this is more of that kind of that, that dictatorship type style of parody where, um, you know, it goes back to communication. It goes back to, again, not saying that you have to check with your kid and, um you know, and make those, you know, clear decisions with them, but communication key, you know, goes a long way. So that's, that's where I'm at with that. Oh man, I agree. You know, I can't disagree at all. You know, uh, another episode in the books, Dr. J, anything, uh, you want to, you know, put out there a highlight before we get out of here? Uh, no, again, we just want to, you know, thank everybody for subscribing, um, listening, please continue to subscribe, share, um, really appreciate it humbled by the support um and we'll see you next week absolutely so uh appreciate the support guys um shout out dr j you and i were talking about this all fair uh shout out to the patterson family they supplied your boy with the shirt z v dw definitely sure i'm getting that right hold on right there they are absolutely the Patterson family, HBCU alums, Hampton and uh, Spelman. So shout out to them. We'll definitely be rocking more of their wardrobe because uh, they're they doing good things and they make good products. So, um, but thank you, everyone. Appreciate everybody tuning in. We appreciate the love and uh, we will see everybody next week. Don't forget, email your questions, the black psychologist um, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join the conversation. All right, All right bro, bro. bro. I'm going to get at you. No doubt.